0: This morning, uh, really all weekend, we, uh, really, we've been blessed. Uh, we've got a special guest speaker. If you open up your, your programs, uh, you'll read more about Pastor Ross. Uh, but he comes uh, to us from the Rock Church in Santa Rosa. And him and his wife, Barbara, are with us for the weekend. He uh, was gracious enough to spend his Father's Day with us. And he's a soon-to-be grandfather for the first time this summer. And uh, as Pastor Rick mentioned, uh, Rick has, Pastor Rick has uh, spoken at his church a couple of times, and I know he, he's bummed to not be here this weekend, uh, but would you welcome with me Pastor Ross Reinman? Anybody? Oh, man, it is so wonderful to be here. Let me take a look at you. Oh, such happy faces. It must be the donuts for sure. Man. How can you lose uh, with starting church with a donut toss? That was so awesome. I hope they were all from Mr. T's, though. <laughs> you know, I've heard about it. You're famous for Mr. T's. And awesome, I was hoping one of those donut holes would ricochet off someone's head and land right about there where I was <laughs> sitting. Well, you know, you've got a beautiful facility, beautiful place here, and I noticed right away all the smiles, a lot of happy people here and just a, a really a, a nice warmth about this place. And I could see why Pastor Rick was bragging so much about you guys when he comes and shares because we've certainly been well-received. We had such an excellent time uh, last night here, uh, just a beautiful time uh, with Bobby and Michelle out, out for dinner. We talked too much, sorry, man. We had a good time. We ate too much, for sure, as always. Uh, Amen? That's just what you do, right? When you're a Christian. We like to eat. Sheep like to graze in the pastures. (laughs) Well, I bring you greetings from the church that I pastor. Uh, We planted that church, my wife and my three kids at the time, uh, 10, 12, and 14. They're all grown up and out. Uh, now, but uh, man, we just had—we started with 40 Costco chairs and no money, and just a little sign outside, and just amazing. 13 years uh, later, you, you know, it's not a huge, huge church, but yeah, we're 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 pressing up to a thousand people, and and so that's pretty amazing. How did that happen? Well, I know how it happened, so. Uh, praise the Lord. God's grace has been good to us. And as was mentioned, I'm traveling with my wife this weekend, which is a, a treat. And our middle boy, who's going to be a daddy next month, sometime July 15th, I guess. And the big deal is they won't tell us the baby's name. So that's your job. Okay, your homework is to meet Caitlin, who is, is very pregnant. So you can find her. And if you get the baby's name out of them... I'll take you to Mr. G's. all right. <laughs> all right, well, I first met your very gifted uh, and uniquely talented uh, Pastor Rick at Hume Lake. It was a men's retreat and uh, he was busy wowing all the guys there, and me included, just mesmerized by that speaking skill of his. And you know, he's talking about Aiken and the sin of Achan in Joshua, I, I, I'm sure he's done it here, uh, Joshua chapter 7, and he just, the pressure mounts as he tells the story, and they're trying to find Achan, and you just want to stand up, it's me, it's me, <laughs> you know, and uh, I just leaned over to my associate pastor, and I said, we got to get this guy up at the rock, and so we did, and that's how it started, and He's been up and blessed our our people so many times and just um, so our church sends their greetings also to him because they love him as well and Aaron and we just appreciate you guys sharing them with the rest of the body of Christ. So thank you uh, for that. He's got a unique style, doesn't he, your pastor? (laughs) I call it the slap and laugh method. So what he does is, you know, before you know what's happening, bam, you get hit, and you're like, wait, wait a second, that wasn't very nice, and you're kind of reeling, and then he just cracks this amazing joke that doubles you over in laughter, and you forget about being slapped, right? And so while you're laughing, it's just long enough until he winds up and smacks you again, you know? But no worries, because soon you'll be doubled over again laughing, so it's all good, you know? So, you know, life is not fair that he's so gifted, and you know what? He's got a full head of hair. What's up? (laughs) That is not fair, you know? Um, But I don't know if you've heard, but God made some heads perfect, and the rest he covered up with hair. (laughs) So there, Mr. Rick, if you're watching on the internet, you know, whatever, with the wind blowing through all your wonderful tresses of hair, you know. There, well, I'm sure I'll be invited back now. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Well, you know, it wasn't easy finding a text for Father's Day because actually the Bible is 66 uh, books and uh, thousands of chapters uh, about the Father's love. A heavenly Father who so loved the world that he gives his only Son and really the whole theme of the Bible is about how God is demonstrating his love to to lost children who have lost their way and trying to woo them back in and all of the trials and tribulations of trying to to, to get us back into his loving care. And so, but I did find my heart uh, warmed and led and drawn to that famous passage Perhaps the most well-loved story, we call them parables, right? Examples, teaching examples of God's great love. Uh, I I would say that our favorite one for sure is what we call the prodigal son, but you know, a lot of scholars say you got that wrong, it should be called the story of God's great love. Because it's kind of a short story, it's got a lot of uh, intense drama and passion but it's not that long. And the Father's name is mentioned 12 times. And so it's really a story about the Father and His great heart and love and how He just loves us. He loves you, no matter what you've done, what you're going through. He longs to hold you close and reconcile you and have you in his home. You know, sometimes we we think, yeah, I know God loves the world and he probably loves me in some broad sense, but he likes you too. He he actually is longing for us. And so with those uh, thoughts this morning, we will make our way to that passage. But before I read it in its entirety, it is so awesome to know what was going on. The context which kind of birthed out the story, which prompted Jesus to tell the story in the first place. It's very important. In the beginning of the chapter there, in Luke chapter 15, it opens up and it says that the self-righteous Pharisees, the bad guys in the story, uh, were slandering Jesus by muttering, who's this guy? He eats with tax collectors, and sinners. So they're slandering Jesus in a crowd that was filled with, they came to hear him, people with broken lives, that that, that the Pharisees looked down their long, self-righteous nose with smugness, thinking they're better than everybody else, and, and they sort of judged them as unworthy of God's love. So in order to correct their warped view of God, the religious leaders, who didn't have an ounce of mercy or grace for anybody wasn't as perfect as they were. So here's this crowd of people feeling, you know, their broken lives. Tax collectors was a, a term that kind of stuck, it was like the poster boy for anybody you despise or was ver- very immoral, and sure, they were, those tax collectors, they'd sell their mom to make a profit. I mean, terrible people and uh, just greedy and exploiting their friends and family for the Roman government. Anyway, I was baptizing a couple years ago and this one dude, I'm interviewing before I I, I dunked him and uh, I'm all, so what do you do again? And he said, well, Pastor Ross, honestly, I'm a tax collector. I said, you're a tax collector. I've never met a tax collector. Now I'm gonna have to hold you down a little extra longer (laughs) to get some of that out of you. Well, you know, sinners and prostitutes, they were drawn to Jesus. They're in the crowd that day, and so are the ones with the robes and thinking that they're better than everybody else. And they're slandering Jesus. And Jesus busts out these three stories in response to their misunderstanding of God. And when you don't have God right, you don't have anything right, because they end up, crucifying the Lord of glory because they're so upside down, you see? So Jesus starts to tell stories and the three of them are connected and he starts out by saying, and the theme is lost things found makes God happy, not sad. The rabbis taught that there was great joy in heaven, great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner was obliterated. So Jesus takes that line, if you notice, and he says, he punctuates the three lost found parable stories that he's about to tell with the phrase, there's great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And he changes the word from is obliterated or destroyed to repents and is reconciled and is saved because that's what gives God joy, and happiness. So he started, you know, with the one sheep that wandered away from the 99 and how the good shepherd goes out and looking high and low until he finds that one sheep and slings him over his shoulder, brings him back uh, into the fold and how happy, and then there's that line. And I tell you the truth, Jesus pauses and looks at them. There's great rejoicing in heaven when one, like the sheep, Is found this great happiness for God. That's what God's into. I came to seek and save the lost. And a physician would hang out with people who are sick. Kind of thing. And then he went to the woman who had 10 silver coins, but she misplaced one and she sweeps to that house and then she finds a little glint and, oh, I found my coin and she's all happy. She calls her neighbor and she says, look, the lost thing is found. And then Jesus pauses and says, and looks at those boys. I tell you what, when one person repents, when one sinner comes to know Christ, there's, Angels singing in heaven. And God is happy. And then he leaves the best for last. He's about to pull out the big gun because he's going to go from a lost sheep that is found and a lost coin that is recovered to a lost son who is reconciled to God his father. Let's pray and then we'll read the story. Now, Heavenly Father, we just don't want familiarity uh, to breed contempt in that we've heard this story a million times, but Father, there's something down deep in all of us that wants to hear it over and over again. Show us something fresh. Your word is is alive. It's living. It's not like reading Huck Finn. (laughs) Lord, it's just like it's it's your spirit, it's your breath. So breathe upon our souls, afresh and anew, this great love that you have for everyone here. In Christ's name, amen. Now I thought it'd be good just to read through the story and then we'll walk through it and kind of follow his journey and, and, and see if there's something new the Holy Spirit will say because he always uh, does that kind of thing. So let's begin. Starting at verse 11, Jesus continues, you see, he's linking this story with the two stories that uh, have preceded. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, field, to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me just like one of your hired men. So he gets up and he goes to his father, but while he's still far off, his father sees him filled with compassion for him and he runs to his son, throws his arms around him and kisses him repeatedly. And the Greek, gets a continual sense. The son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Well, I I can almost hear the Lord thinking at least, take that, Pharisees, take that. I mean, that's exactly how God feels about all these people in the crowd who aren't perfect like you and know they're in need and are longing to find the meaning of life and to have love in their hearts and to know uh, the true meaning of the Lord and his great love. And so he's gotten their attention for sure. You know about this story, why it never gets old is because it's our story. Of course, not everybody plunges to those depths of immorality and extremes before we all get saved. A lot of us do. A lot of us have to come to the Lord practically has to kill us to get our attention, uh, some of us. And others come when at the height of success and it's just empty and they're just still longing uh, for the meaning of life and the Father's love. The thing about this story that I like is, is that not only Christians know that God loves them, right? At that moment you get saved, you're filled with God, wow, God loves me, He's received me kind of thing. But we forget that he's always wanting to topple us over and hug us and slather us with kisses and be that unconditional way of loving us even down the road in our having been back to the house. You see, the love that he has at the start for you is the love that he has for you today and all the way into eternity. He's never changed his attitude since that first day toppling you over and loving you up one side and down the other. That's still his joy. You have to remember that. So the kid takes four distinctive kind of journeys, all right, and that's how we'll divide the story up. It goes fast. Uh, first, there was life at the ranch. I'm going to call it that. And then he takes a walk on the wild side. We'll take a look at that. Then there's trouble in paradise. As Scooby Doo would say, rock, roll. Uh, right? <laughs> and number four, and then he finds his blessed way home. And so. Life on the ranch, let me refresh your memory. I'll just sort of paraphrase at the start of each of the journeys, all right? So the son says to his father, gimme, 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 what's coming to me, pops? Come on, let's pretend that you're dead because let's be honest. I don't love you. I don't need you. I don't want you, but I do want your money. So fork it over, all right, I want it, it's mine, give it to me. Well, and the father gives it to him, because the father has some wisdom, and knows that you can't legislate love, you can't manipulate it, you can't force, you can't hold a gun to somebody's head and say, love me, right? Right? I mean, the kid has free will, so he's going to give him what he's asking in a redemptive way uh, to let the the bad choices that he's making speak to his heart and learn a hard lesson. This father is wise. I'm sure there were tears and pleadings and longings and all sorts of things. Uh, He doesn't give up that easy, but in the end, he hands over the money, sadly, with a knife in his heart. But this kid, talk about insolence. You know, nothing's sharper. Sharper than a serpent's tooth is the ingratitude of a child. I think Shakespeare said that. You could Google it. Not now, but later. (laughs) Find out if that's right or not. So the, the dude is sick of his father. It's actually, he's not sick of his dad so much, he's sick of authority these kinds of guys, once sin and rebellion starts in your heart, you're just a beast. You become a brute animal. Proverbs 30 says, when when I wasn't walking with you, Father, I was just a brute beast who could look at his father and say, you know what? Let's pretend you're dead, man. Come on, just give me the money. That's why I caution people in our fellowship, don't mess around with rebellion or sin. It will turn you into an animal. You will turn on your wife, your husband, your mama, your dad, your babies. You will leave your babies and you will think right now, no way, I would never leave my babies. Yeah, you will. If you embrace this rebellious, insolent, arrogant thing that unfortunately got put in us, way early with father adam and mom mama eve and that's where it all started so where did his problem start really you know back with our original parents the serpent said to to uh, mama eve god's holding out on you kid He told you, you can't eat that that fruit. Really? Did he really say that? Because it's awesome. I don't know why he'd say that. Yeah, he did say that. And he said, in the event that you eat it, you will die. Which is so true. All God's commands came with a tagline, that it may go well with you. Always looking out for us, right? But you know the story, you know. Uh, He was saying, God's keeping something from you. He knows in the day you eat it, you'll be like him. Eve, imagine the wisdom of a goddess. He's keeping you from being your own goddess. And so that was enough, right? And that whole idea that God is keeping you the boundaries of the gospel and the kingdom of God, and it does have boundaries, that's outside of the house of God is where you really will find true excitement and true fulfillment. And those are the really loving people. He reverses the whole thing. And she bought it. He bought it. Our father, right? And in them, we fell too. And they transferred that wanderer gene, that rebellious gene, Uh, To us, you know, through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin. Therefore, death spread to all men for all have sinned. Romans chapter five, verse 12. That's where it all started. And that's where this poor kid got downloaded. Um, By default, a desire not to be happy in the father's house, but to be arrogant and uh, sinful and say, give me dad. I don't care if you live or die. I just want uh, your money. And so <clears throat> that's life on the ranch. You know, I'm sure what happened is, uh, you know, if it were today, he saw those happy beer commercials, right? Uh, all those guys look so happy. Look at all the pretty girls, and they're laughing, and they have no problems, and look at their nice trucks and their brand new boats. Uh, you know, or maybe if it were today, you know, the Facebook friends. Having a great time, and he's just like, oh man, I gotta get out of this house. And so it's, he heads for the door. So we're at now point two a walk on the wild side. Let me bring you up to speed. So, <clears throat> not very long after this, the money, the shekels are dispersed. Uh, he throws all the stuff together, the Bible says, and grabs the cash and jets off to some exotic, distant location. And there he squanders it all on opulent and decadent living. So off to see the world without that pesky old man uh, looking over his shoulder. Now, he's striking out on his own something that prodigals all have in common. Uh, And we do that in different ways. So we either, you know, really go after it uh, in an immoral sense. Or there's another way to be a prodigal. You can be a good upstanding citizen. I've met plenty of these. It's just an atheist who is passive aggressive with God. So your walk on the wild side is I'm just going to write him off. He's dead to me. And that's what passive aggressive people do. They'll kill you Softly. Right? They just you don't even exist. You don't even have enough value to come up on the radar. They don't mention your name, they don't talk to you, they don't think about you. That's evil. But it's called passive aggressive. And so what that does is help the person who's murdering somebody by writing them off to be able to to think better thoughts about themselves. Well, I'm not, you know. I'm not in the pig pen, and I didn't go squander the money or my life on riotous living. Yeah, you just wiped God off the face of the earth so that you could do your own thing and disguise it by being a nice guy. Well, you gotta be careful with that sin. Sin will just find a way to let you do your wandering and feel good about yourself too. You know, and so. This dude's opting for the, the me, myself, and I moment where I'm just going to splurge and do everything I wanted to do. Did you know that the number one song played at funerals, number one song, is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Now, I'm not speaking about in the church world. All we think about is the church world. But outside of the church world, and maybe some in the, in the church world, I did it my way at your funeral? Really? That's the last place I wanna kinda of send out a, you know, little motto, hey, you know, I did things my way. Let me read to you, some of you are not impressed that like, wow, who cares? Hello, do you remember some of the lyrics? For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not to see the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. Let the record show I took the blows and did it my way and not the one with words that kneel. He's saying, hey, I wasn't the kind of guy that had to kneel and talk to him for help because I did it my way. Yikes. Uh, I wouldn't want that playing at my memorial service. Amen? Are you with me on this one? Come on, you don't want that, right? He didn't have any reason. Why, why, Why does he want to do it his way? Well, there's no reason in the text, but yeah, we always find out later what it was. It was another person. There's always a third person involved. Oh, I've, I've been doing this 36 years and marriages will come by me and there's like a mystery. Suddenly somebody's no longer in love with the other one and then a few months later, something, somebody appears. Oh, you know. And so yeah, that's kind of what happens. You find out later. So we didn't know what was his problem and then we find out, okay, he wanted to live it up. So the word squander is where you get prodigal. That's where, it's from the Latin translation of squander and and we've anglicized it and we call prodigal. The prodigal, it means to throw up in the air, to just toss things in the air. So he was tossing that inheritance, God's small fortune, up in the air, just reckless. No budgeting, you know, it was all about fast chariots and new shiny threads. Fast chariots, you get it, right, yeah. You guys are a little slow, it's nine o'clock, you know. Your wife will explain it to you on the way home. You know, exotic banquets and all of that, and don't you put it past him. He took some of that money and donated it to a fine cause, his favorite charity, because people love to do that, you see. I'm not that bad of a guy. And so he squanders it and throws it all over the place. And um, yeah, at any rate, it's time for the riches to sprout wings and soar uh, away. I love Proverbs. It it says in chapter 23, verse five, cast but a glance at riches. And guess what? They're going to soon sprout wings, fly into the sky like an eagle. That happens all the time. So that's what happened to him. He was all about his money, he got his money, took a while, fancy fancy life, wine, women, and song all day long, Uh, but as it turns out, the party has to come to an end, as it always must. And so we go to third point now, trouble in paradise as the party comes to an end and the, the bills are coming in the mail, there's not enough revenue because he's spending more than he makes, right? And uh, he can't uh, continue this momentum. And so I'll bring you up to speed here with the paraphrase of trouble in paradise. So the Bible says, after you burn through all the cash, there just so happened to be, wink, wink, just so happened to be an economic downturn, a severe, it says in the King James, a mighty uh, famine, <laughs> wow, when God wants to get someone's attention, man, wow, he, he just jumps through all the hoops, uh, and, and the boy was in a world of hurt, in his desperation, he takes a job as a hired hand, he goes to find some rich dude, he says, hey, can, can I work for you, or be your slave as long as I get something to eat, he's like, well, you can feed my pigs, <laughs> So he goes, takes a job, throwing out slop for the pigs. And he's so hungry and desperate that even the swulf or the swine looks yummy. And he wants to eat that. But no one gave him anything, and that's a key part. So let's talk about trouble in paradise. There's a spiritual law in the Bible, and it's interesting. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Don't be deceived. Now, he's implying that the, what I'm about to tell you, a lot of people don't think it's going to happen. But you're deceived. Don't be deceived. A man will reap whatever he sows. So if he sows seed to his sinful nature and sinful desires, if you that's the way you live toward those fleshy kinds of things and passions, from doing that very thing, you will reap back destruction. So he says, God cannot be mocked. What he means by that is saying nobody who lives a wild and reckless life will ever be able to say, see, I lived a wild and reckless life and I'm blessed. Well, just give it time to play out because it says God will not be mocked. You can never say and see, the Bible says, oh, I will reap destruction. So he's saying, don't be deceived. It may look like everything's going well, but you don't see what God sees and you don't see the end. You don't see the end. There's a spiritual dynamic that all those parties have to come to an end, a screeching halt. Uh, uh, Any second now, a trumpet sound is going to sound and he is going to appear with the voice of the, the archangel And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in a twinkling of an eye. He says, shh, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die, but shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and we're getting closer and closer uh, to that day. And I'll tell you, on that day, the party's over. I mean, some parties may be going on at the moment the trumpet sounds. And, you know, a billion of us go missing that's going to really impact one's party, I think. <laughs> it really is, man. It really is. So the party's going to come and we want to be found ready. That's half of Jesus' teaching is be ready, be watching, be ready. You don't know the hour. Be ready, be ready, be ready. He wants us ready. And the boy definitely is not ready. He's in the pig pen. That's not a good place. And so... You know, when God gives you over to something, like the Father said, go for it, man, do your thing. It was in love. There's a redemptive aspect of God giving one over. You're going to study the book of Romans. Romans 1 has this terrible thing of how they reject pagans, reject God's truth, exchange it for a lie, and then serve themselves. And it says, so God just gives them over. That's not like condemnation. That's a redemptive hey. I'm going to let you find out what life is like without me and when you live for self and sin and when Satan is in charge. Hoping that the pain and loss and loneliness and emptiness will get to that person and bring them back in. And so that's what's, what he's experiencing right now. The consequences of his own bad choices are the best evangelists. Mom and dad, listen, Uh, And I've got a wayward one right now as well. Mom and dad and whoever you are praying for your wayward friend, the bad consequences of poor decisions is the best evangelist we know. They've got God the Father is on the case who loves them more than we do. He created them. He died for them. And he's smarter than they are. And he loves them. And so God has kind of put this kid now in the vice grip of life, the jaws of death, really the jaws of life and squeezing this kid, how much more? No more friends, no more money, no more food, no more, no more roof over your head. A lot of guilt and shame and regret and remorse and anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And the Lord's like, okay. I, You know, and some of us are so stubborn he has to take us right to the edge of death, you know, before we'll go, okay, Father, yes, okay, yes. But this kid was like that, you know. Jews are a little bit like that. I am a Jew as well, so I can say things like that without you looking at me like, awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about my dad, the... uh, Jewish born in Brooklyn. Um, that's what it took him, to be in God's vice script. And uh, he had money all his life. We were uh, always well taken care of. Uh, he owned paving companies in New England. So I was raised in New York and Massachusetts. Uh, but my dad just had a series of misfortunes in the business world, and he ended up really in a lot of business tri- uh, troubles in the 70s. So my Jewish dad gets us on a plane. We couldn't tell our friends where where we were going. We were 18 at the time, 18, 17, 16, and and 14 teenagers. And he moved us from New England to Santa Cruz, California. I was culture (laughs) shock. We had never been to a Taco Bell. for one thing, <laughs> and we never put like grass on our sandwiches. you call them bean sprouts? Yeah, we, we didn't put the lawn, half of the lawn inside, but yeah, it just didn't make sense to us. But, so my dad could never recover. He could always recover. He was good with money, but God put a you're not good with money curse on him to get his attention. And so my dad tells his testimony real quick. He says, uh, there he was, uh, managing a hotel in Santa Cruz, down on his luck, and the older woman who uh, owned the hotel came by and said, Joseph, the trash is overflowing in the large receptacle outside. Would you mind getting it and flatten it out? My dad. He owned companies, he drove Cadillacs, he, he had companies and corporations and now he's climbed in to the trash bin and he's trying to get the trash down and, and the lady is saying to him, he tells the story. He's with the Lord now, but he would tell the story and say, she was saying, higher, jump higher Joseph, jump higher Joseph, and as she was commanding him to jump, He just thought, this is the bottom of my life. It cannot get any worse. If there's a God in heaven, have mercy on my poor, pathetic soul. And he said, that was the moment inside a trash bin where God, where he just was, nothing made sense. It was like the only way he said, he said, I was on my back. The only way I could look was up. And I started thinking about God. And I picked up a, a book called The Late Great Planet Earth and, and Hal Lindsay's book in the 70s that talked about coming Armageddon and used a lot of Old Testament. He was raised in the Old Testament. And it just, the Lord saved him. And he came home talking about Jesus and heaven coming down, the new Jerusalem. We all thought it was crazy. <laughs> I just thought, oh man. And you know what was sad? We had in a strained relationship, dad and I. He was a good provider, but he just didn't take interest, no warmth, no loving, no uh, how are you doing, nothing like that, a real razor sharp tongue too. So I had a lot of wounds. So when I saw the open Bible and dad, first of all, I told him dad, this is against the rules of our religion. You cannot accept Jesus as a Jewish person. And he's like, let me tell you, Jesus was a Jew, and he came for the Jews, and I'm like, never mind. (laughs) I asked the wrong question. Well, actually, I moved far away to the city to get away from him and his gospel. Well, that didn't work, (laughs) obviously. And and so like my dad, uh, the prodigal, it was time, uh, in his pain there, he was coming to the end of himself. And, And now it's time to head home, our last point, now, it begins with a change of heart. And let me paraphrase a little bit. He finally wakes up one day, says to himself, It says in the Bible, He came to Himself. That's implying that when you're outside of the Father's house doing your own thing, you've lost your mind. You're not who God made you to be. You're somebody else. You're scattered, you're shattered. It's the place that you find yourself is in the house where the God who made you dwells, right? Jesus said, if you find yourself, folks, you're actually going to lose yourself. So he went out to find himself. He found himself and ended up in a pigsty. It's when he's back at home that he, when he loses himself, he finds life in the Father's so he comes to himself and he says, what am I doing? You know, here, a nice Jewish boy in food for pigs. Now, you know, you know, when the, when the crowd, the Jewish crowd heard that, they were gasping. A Jewish boy, you do know bacon is a no-no for Jews, Right. <laughs> We ate it. We weren't kosher, you know. My mom made my dad pork chops. He was happy, you know. But, <laughs> amen. Something wrong with pork chops and a side of linguine. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm having fun. I, you know, that's what matters up here, I guess, Father. <laughs> I've. And he goes, I know what I'll say. I'll tell him, I know. Hey, I sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just hire me and I'll sleep in the basement, you know, uh, with the rest of the hired help. So hardship has done its work. Oh, the father was smarter than we all thought. He said, watch this, watch this. Go for it, man, go for it. Knock yourself out up there, literally. (laughs) Uh, Hardship has done its work. He's longing for home. He's open, he's ripe, he's soft, he's ready. This is where in our lives God sends in the, the, um, the Christian co-worker or the Christian relative or somebody invites him to youth group. This is right where it is because he's ready, right? So he's feeling guilt and remorse. It's perfect. Humility. Hey, just, just I'll sleep in the basement. I don't need anything. Just treat me. Give me a time uh, card. I'll punch the clock. I don't need to be sun again, you know. He's got all the ingredients for salvation to just strike, you know. And so uh, it all came down to a word, repentance. When he turned, all he did was turn home. Now, this will blow your mind again because it always blows my mind. I've been doing this 36 years. All God wants is repentance. Now, repentance and faith are kind of... Two faces of the same coin, really. Because you can't repent without faith and and you can't have faith without repentance. They just mean the same thing. It's like turning. You have faith, so you turn. You're turning because you have faith. And that's what saves you from eternal perishing to honoring you in heaven to be a co-heir with Christ to reign and rule with God Almighty forever and ever with what Jesus says is a crown on our heads and all these glorious eternal pleasures. What blows my mind is is how easy he's made it and what the horror of perishing to me is, is that to escape help is so easy you know, if he would have asked, hey, if you don't want to go to hell, you have to climb Mount Everest without any shoes on, we would all want to do that, right? But instead he says, all I want you to do is trust, turn your heart, change your mind. Meta, not A-O, in the Greek, means repent. It just means to turn, change your mind. Isaiah, he says, look to me, all the ends of the earth and be saved. That's it. Bring your brokenness, your shame, your sinning. That's what you qualify. That's how you qualify. That's it? Yeah. Bring your death, and then I'll give you life. But all I ask is that you turn. Trust. Oh, it sounds so easy, and it can be the hardest thing in the world to do. So he turns, and then he starts walking, you know? He, he started walking. You know, you know, let me tell you really quickly how that's what happened to me, and it was just lightning strike uh, change. So I'm out of the house, away from that Jewish Christian madman, and I'm, I'm I live in San Francisco as a bank teller. I invited my brother to come up, who was 17, I was 19, to go partying with me and my buddies. So we went to a nightclub. Let me be honest with you, it was a disco. And I was busy staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> oh, it was awful. We should have been arrested for things like that, you know? And the sideburns were out to here my as far wide as my pant bottoms, you know? Oh, it was just terrible. <laughs> but worse than that, I did not know the Lord, nor did I want to know the Lord, but everywhere I went, I was being ambushed everywhere. I'd go home on the weekends. My father, let me tell you about Jesus. I'm like, dad, no, thank you. And then my sister was starting to cave in listening to my father. And, and she's like, hey, Ross, uh, did you hear what dad is saying? Because it's sort of making sense to me. I'm like, no, Jody, don't fall. <laughs> you know, stay strong, <laughs> stay strong. And, and, and so I'd be on a bus and an old lady was sitting next to me would open her Bible and say, Sonny, do you know the Lord? I'm like, did my father send you? (laughs) How does God do that? My co-workers, oh, it was was everywhere. There was a guy street preaching once he's bouncing a tennis ball. Street preaching, loud, right? But he's standing in front of the bank where I worked, and I had to ask him to get out of the way so I could get to go into work. And he said, repent for the kingdom of God. And he's bouncing his tennis ball. And I'm like, uh, I've heard this all weekend. I just want to go in and do my job. Excuse me, Uh, unbelievable stories like that. One night, Darian and I, 1719, go into the bar. We didn't start drinking, nothing, all sober. The room started to spin. I got nauseous. And I heard something in my mind that said, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? And it kept repeating, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again, I thought I was losing my mind. I didn't know how else to explain it. I don't remember leaving the bar. I just remember my brother getting me outside. The fresh air kind of hit me and he's, Ross, Ross, what's going on? What, what's the problem and I said I'm still muttering why will you go to hell when you don't have to And and I said Darian I think that the Lord is speaking to me and telling me not to go to hell I wanted in my sick mind for him to convince me to go back in the bar come on we'll buy a couple beers where everything will be fine instead Darian goes He's talking to me too. Started crying. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, we're cooked. (laughs) You know? And so uh, I said, what do we do? And I looked up at the sky. I I don't know a Christian. There's no Christians talking to us, just these random sniper Christians. So what do I say, just like in the story, let's go home, the only Christian we knew, and talk to dad, oh man. So on the way home, I open the window, I look up in the sky and I say, you win, that was my sinner's prayer, you win, I lose, you're right, I'm wrong, that's all I said, that was my sinner's prayer, and it worked. I got saved, so praise the Lord. So we bust into the hotel there. Mom and Dad, they were both there. Uh, they're both with the Lord. And uh, Mom and Dad, we're born again Christians. We're Christians. Ross has heard from the Lord. We're gonna serve the Lord. And my mother got saved. <laughs> but she was in such shock <laughs> that these two, they, I mean, we were scoundrels, 19 and 17. And for us to come in just saying, oh, we're born again Christians, my mom goes, there's a God in heaven. (laughs) And my dear old dad, they called the sister. My sister comes over. She's going, oh, too. And I'm like, there she is. Um, We're one of (laughs) them. And my little brother as well. And my dad got down on his knees. We all, all the whole family, just a bunch of losers just a bunch of Jewish, uh, empty-headed, and I can speak for me and Darian, just out for the world. And what are we doing with no church, no Christians talking to us, nothing. And we're all in a living room on our knees talking to our Heavenly Father and receiving Jesus Christ. That's a miracle, amen? What kills me... What kills me is all he said was turn, just turn. That's all we did. He said, he asked a pretty good question to which there's not many things you could say, right? Why would you go to hell when you don't have to? I was like, let me come up with an answer for that. You know, there's just nothing to say. So I mean, he he won. So that's the deal here. Uh, I just take a look at the Father's love. I know I'm going just a little bit long, but you know, I heard your pastor goes longer. Uh, I'm, I'm almost done, really. The Father's love, I wanted to get, oh, no probation. No, I told you so. No Jewish guilt trips. Oh, uh, do you know how many nights your mother and I were crying ourselves to sleep? All right, already? Forget about it. You know, that, That's called a Jewish accent from New York. I won't do that next service, though. <laughs> Instead of all of that, Restitution, promises, contracts, programs, kisses, hugs, celebration, and reinstatement. That, my friend, is the definition of grace. Getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace and mercy for that kid and for everybody like him, all of us. And last thought. Is that it? That's all you got to do is just come and that's it. Well, when you're born again, it's about coming to know the Lord, the Father. You have to have that. That's what born again is. You don't become religious, know about what you do and don't do anymore. It's about you. if you're going to heaven, you had to have had that meeting with God the Father like this. That's what being again and a Christian is and from that relationship God fills you with the Holy Spirit and you're, a re, you're responding in good works because you've been received and given heaven not in an effort to obtain heaven the only good works that matter are those that are born from an already right relationship with God the Father uh, my last thought that I promised to give you is now uh, what's up with the harsh word about the fatted calf? You know, he says, bring the fatted calf out and kill it. (laughs) What? Why couldn't he just say, hey, let's party. We're going to have some steak. (laughs) You know, he could have said it in so many ways. He could have just said, let's have a big party. Why do we have to hear, bring out the animal and kill it so that we can have a joy-filled party? Because there's got to be blood in a story like this. It's a Christian story of bringing a sinner back into the presence of holy God. And and Jesus, the cross, really, it's a shout out to the cross, that fatted calf that has to give its life. There's blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so like the Old Testament sacrifices and all the holy days, they bring that animal. The animal lost its life and the animal provided for the communal meal between you and the priest and God. And God was happy and that was celebrated by a meal. That's what happened after the sacrifices. So in this way, we see just a shout out, a little hint, but by the use of that harsh language about the calf and slaughter it, Jesus is saying a lot more has to go on, on my end, to make your turning so simple. And the only reason it's so simple for you to just turn and God go, done, new robe, new clothes, new checkbook, is because your sins have been washed away by blood. And if that's the case, then everything's all good and all you truly need to do is turn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. Father, we pray that you'd work this new... (laughs) fresh insights that you've been speaking into our hearts and lives that we would be blessed, Father. And um, I want to just say to you while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, if there's anybody who just wants to make that quick turn for the very first time and make sure you're going to wind up in the Father's house just through repentance and owning your own sin and asking God to remove it. and. Why don't you just, nobody's looking around, just say, I'd like you to include, include me in the closing prayer by just slipping your hand up nice and high and say, boy, that I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I need to, to find Christ and be saved and start my Christian life today. So I believe I see a couple hands out there. So here's the quick prayer we could pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you guys can repeat after me, all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my heart today. You're right, I'm wrong. And I give you my heart. Cleanse me of my sin and be my Lord and help me know the Father's love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.